my hope for them is that they find paths in their lives in every way that make them happy, that, that bring them as much joy and as little sorrow and anxiety as is possible. Welcome to The Art of Fatherhood, a podcast that takes you on the journey of fatherhood. Now here's your host, Art Eddy. This week's The Art of Fatherhood podcast is being brought to you by Medela. Dads, when it comes to helping your partner or spouse with breastfeeding, only cleaning the baby bottles just won't cut it. You need to do more. Ask your spouse what you can do to help with the transition when she goes back to work. I remember helping my wife in different ways when she returned to work, like getting the breast milk bags at her office as she had to go somewhere after work. If you're running a team or looking to be an advocate, talk to your team and HR department about how your office can offer support for breastfeeding employees. Plus, with the infant formula crisis, new guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics, a receding global health pandemic, and a spike in inflation all placing increasing pressure on new parents returning to work who need support to continue breastfeeding. The normalized breastfeeding drum keeps on beating. Culture acceptance is here to stay. Thankfully, Medela is leading that drumbeat with their Kin program. Kin is a customizable single-source solution from Medela and Mamava that opens up a world of best-in-class technology, resources, accessories specifically designed for new and expecting parents. Employees get the support they need to successfully balance their career with breastfeeding and a growing family. Medela is doing their part. Now it is up to us. Learn more at medela.us slash kin that's medila.us slash k-i-n what's going on everybody already here for another edition of the art of fatherhood podcast i'm very happy to have this gentleman of course you know him really well it's none other than mike greenberg thanks for taking the time to chat with me sir how you doing i'm doing well we can talk about sports and fatherhood you've pretty much covered my two favorite topics so i am delighted to be with you yeah, man. Congrats on your book. You and uh, Hembo did a great job uh, with uh, Got Your Number. We can talk about that in a second. But first, talk about your fatherhood journey, man. I know you talk about your kids a lot, and I love that. When you, f- I know I'm taking you back a little ways, but when you found out you were going to be a dad, what was going through your mind, sir? Well, when I found out I was going to be a dad, that was actually, that moment was the inspiration for the first book I wrote, which is called Why My Wife Thinks I'm an Idiot. I, it was originally going to be called The Hysterical Ravings of an Expectant Father. And I was uh, I thought it would be a good idea to write a book that would be in the form of a man, me in theory, um, like writing a journal or a diary starting on the day that he finds out that he's going to have a baby. And and so I wrote that. And I I wrote, I don't know, 40, 50 pages or whatever it is, and I stuck it in a drawer and I and I, I put it away. And a few years later, by which time I already had two kids. Um, I pulled it out of the drawer and I showed it to a literary agent who said, this is pretty good. Uh, You know, we should consider writing this. And so we took it to Random House and Random House liked it. But what they said to me was, um, you know, why don't you take it all the way through your current life now? Like, don't don't just leave it with the uh, expectant uh, father, but take it all the way through the early fatherhood. So that's what why my wife thinks I'm an idiot was and, and still is. It's it, it separ- it's uh, separated into three separate chapters. The first is that first one, the the, the period of, of expectancy. The second is shortly after the first child is born. And the third is after the two kids are born. And I think my daughter was four and my son was two at that time. And so it's sort of three separate sections of, of fatherhood. And I remember at the time I said, you know, this book is a, it's a tribute to fathers of my generation because, you know, 
as time goes on, the world evolves and it doesn't evolve minute by minute. It evolves generation by generation. So as the, the place that women are able to occupy in society has changed, as evidenced by my mother being the first woman in the history of my family ever to go to college. My wife has a master's degree. My daughter could be the president of the United States someday. That's progress. And in, in similar ways, as the role of women have, has evolved in society, so has the role of fathers. And so the best illustration of that I gave is that when my daughter was a baby, my dad, who was a great father and to whom I was incredibly close, was in my house one day and we're sitting there. And I said, oh, dad, I got to go upstairs and change the baby's diaper. And he like grabbed me by the arm and he said, you're going to do what? He had never changed a diaper in his life. You know, I was born in the 60s. But nowadays, you know, and, and particularly when I was, when I had little kids, as you know, when you're at the stage where you have little kids, everyone around you has little kids. Every dad I knew was changing diapers and coming home on red eyes to go to ballet recitals or coach Little League games or all the same stuff that I was doing. And no one's asking for a medal. I mean, I'm not a hero. Uh, that's, that's what it should be. Yeah. Um, but, but that, that was my life at that time. And my kids are totally grown up now. Um, and the experience has changed. It has not lessened by the way, if anything, it, it, in some ways, I think it's grown better. That's what that book was about. So, you know, that experience was, I mean, I guess it's incredibly meaningful to everyone, Yeah. but in my case, it actually inspired me to start writing in the first place. Love it. And, you know, especially with all the hats that you have, uh, Warren and the different projects you've been on I'm guessing like try new things is maybe something you look to instill into your kids as they were growing up but what were some of the values you and your wife were looking to instill into them while they were growing up well that's so hard to say you know I mean I've always told my kids that happiness is not a means to an end happiness is a goal in fact it is in reality, it is the only goal worth pursuing. And everyone defines happiness differently because everyone derives happiness differently. Yep. So what makes my wife, what brings her happiness and what brings me happiness are not always the same thing. And what might bring my children happiness might not be the same thing as us or the same thing as each other. But you know, my hope for them is that they find paths in their lives in every way that make them happy, that, that bring them as much joy and as little sorrow and anxiety as is possible, um, understanding that zero joy and zero anxiety are not possible. That's not life. <laughs> life. Life comes with sorrow and it comes with anxiety and it comes with happiness and joy. And, and the hope is that your ratio is heavier on the joy. As far as actual, you know, values, I mean, you know, my wife and I were... I always say in order to have a happy marriage, you can disagree on all the small stuff, but you've got to agree on the big stuff. And we always did. We yeah. felt very similarly about the role that religion would play in our lives. We felt very similarly about the role that that education for them, just how much of a priority that was going to be for us, would play in our lives. We, we felt very similarly about how important it was for them to travel and see the world, about how important it was for them to understand that the world they lived in was not really representative you know, in their youth of, of of the same world that so many other people live in. And there are different ways to try and do that. And you don't always get it right. 
Um, you know, the one thing I always say about parenthood is, you know, I think this is equally true of fatherhood and motherhood and whatever else, is there is no way to get it right. I mean, there's no right or wrong. There's no book that I think so long as you make it your priority, then you're doing it right. And you will make mistakes along the way. That is that that's a that's a given. No, no one has ever been a perfect parent. We mm-hmm. all we will all and have all and will always all make all kinds of mistakes. But so long as you make it your priority, then you're doing it right. Yeah. And uh, we all everyone I know says their kids are their first priority. But we all know people who don't live that way. Yep. And yep. That, to me, is the line of demarcation. A lot of people say it. Not everybody actually does it. Well said. Talk a little bit about um, something that you learned from your kids, whether it was a life lesson or something that was maybe inside of you that you didn't know was there until you became a dad. Well, that's such a good question. I mean, there there are so many. Here's what jumped to mind when you asked it to me. And I don't this. If I had some time to really think about it, I probably could come up with a, a different answer but when my kids were born i was in my mid to late 30s and i had worked you know not when they were born as much as when they sort of came of age age enough that i could sort of pay attention to the things that were going on you know i was or they could pay attention excuse me to the things that were going on i was in my early 40s and i had been covering sports by that time for 20 years and what i what i found was that in some ways I had grown a little sort of uh, jaded. You know, when you start covering sports, you find yourself focusing too much on the negative, too much on the business, too much on the nasty, too much on the all the stuff that people talk about on radio shows and stuff like that. And then when my kids became interested in sports, I started to see it through their eyes again. Yeah. Like I started to see the joy of it, the beauty of it, um, in ways that I, I think I had to at least some degree lost. I didn't want to lose that, that's for sure. So I have tried really hard since then to remember that, to, to sort of keep that in my mind as they've grown up, that sports is about the joy. It's about it's about the um, the wonder of it. It's about the accomplishment. It's about the striving. It's about, you know, the winning and the losing. It's And, and it's not about all of the nonsense that sometimes surrounds it. You know, these are games that have been turned into a business, but yeah. you don't fall in love with a business. You fall in love with a game. Yep. And uh, I think I I think I got that from my kids for sure. Love that. And uh, dad hack or piece of advice for new dads, what would you offer to them? My, my piece of advice for new dads? Yeah. Well, I mean, in Why My Wife Thinks I'm an Idiot, I had a couple of them. Okay. One of them was, uh, if you are ever out and you come home and you see more than one minivan in your driveway, uh, turn around and drive away. Uh, you don't want any part of what's going on inside. Um, uh, uh, that was one, I remember. Another one was, um, you cannot vacuum puke off a tile floor. Um, another one was, you cannot get snot out of cashmere no matter how hard you try. Those were some of the lessons that I learned. And then and then the most important one was uh, never, ever, ever buy one of anything. I learned that the hard way. And uh, that was one of the great mistakes I've ever made in my life when my kids were little. 
So I, I had a bunch of those. I, I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't remember all of them, but those were some of the, the most important ones. <laughs> those are all great. We said that right there. The last one is just the human nature in a nutshell. Your oldest could be like done playing with that toy, but all of a sudden the youngest picks it up and it's like, what are you doing to that toy? That's mine. So well done on that. Love that. So your book that you did with Hembo, man, got your number. Congrats on that. I feel like, especially since I listen to you guys and and your shows and all that, this book, how long was this book in the works? And two, was this something that you guys, between breaks, and obviously I know between breaks, you got to get stuff done, or, you know, especially for sports, something's coming in. You guys are like, all right, you know, breaking news, how we do that. But maybe on slow days, right? Is this the book that kind of happened that like came through because of maybe some of the breaks or when you guys are planning a show, maybe even when you have more time when you're planning a show where, this almost became a debate and you and him are like, Hey, we should put a book together. No, not really. Um, I'll tell you exactly how the book came about one day after we had finished the get up show. This was before we had a radio show. Um, a bunch of us on the staff were sitting around and we were talking and the conversation turned to how many hall of fame quarterbacks all wore the Jersey number 12. Um, and it's Joe Namath, Bob Greasy, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, Ken Stabler, Jim Kelly, and then eventually Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And one person in the room said, yeah, Greeny, they all wore 12, but who owns the number 12? And right then it was like a light bulb went off over my head, and I got the idea to do this book, Who Owns Every Number in Sports History from 1 to 100? Hembo has, we didn't have a radio show yet, but Hembo has been my researcher going back to my days on Mike. Yep. So I called him and I said, I want to do this book. And I had the idea to do it. And I said to him, I want you to do the research. And so that's what we did. We, we got together. We decided who owned all these numbers. He went off and did the research on them. He would send them to me one at a time. And I wrote every chapter. So there are a hundred short chapters. They're like two to three pages each explaining why each of the people own the numbers that they own. And so the book is a combination of two things. It's sports debate because we made some tough decisions. We chose, like, I'll just give you an example. The number 21, it could be Tim Duncan. It could be Roberto Clemente. It could be Deion Sanders. We made a decision. You might agree. You might disagree. That's where the debate comes in. But then whether you agree or not, the next part of it is not debate, but it's the sports history. I loved when I was younger reading about sports history, and that's how I learned about sports, the majority of what I know. And so I promise that every person who reads this book, no matter how knowledgeable a sports fan you may think you are, because of how exceptional Hembo's research is, there will be at least a hundred times, which meaning at least once per chapter that you will say, wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Even about even about the most famous people in sports history, Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, Jackie Robinson, Wayne Gretzky, doesn't matter. Um, you will learn stuff about all these athletes who did not already know. So it's a little sports debate and a little sports history. So Michael Jordan's 12 didn't get on there when uh, his, his jersey got stolen? <laughs> yeah, that did not. And we didn't give him 45 either, which he did wear for that half a season that he came back from baseball. But um, he was a pretty easy choice for 23. Yeah, when, when Nick Anderson, oh, the reason why I went to steal the ball is because I didn't see 23. I saw 45, right? That was like, he's like, all right, I'm changing my number back to 23. Um, for you, you know, you mentioned like being a lover of sports and just growing up with sports. And, you know, if people listen to your show, obviously that it was just sports is in your passion. But then also, too, you got to put like your passion aside, probably. 
which number was tough for you and you guys to debate like maybe you were just so struck on stuck on this number because it meant a lot to you were you easy was it easy for you to kind of like take your personal side out of that for certain numbers or no no it's not easy but i felt like i had to do it like we we wanted this book to be the book of record we wanted this to feel like the definitive book of numbers of this kind and if i just sat there and said i'm giving joe namath number 12 because he's my favorite player that ever lived even though tom brady won seven super bowls then it would have just discredited everything else we did so i i did have to remove my fandom in practically all cases um because i wanted the book to be um i didn't want it to the book is not my favorites the book is who I believe deserve to own all of these numbers. And, and that's obviously a vastly different thing. No doubt. And right there too, this book is going to be a little bit harder for, you know, cause it's going to take generations of a player to like, obviously up, you know, absorb that number, right? Because of like all of the stuff that went into why you guys chose that. So I love that. And again, it's such a great like conversation book for you guys to start, you know, like they always say like uh, barbershop debates and all that. Two more questions before we finish off with the father quick five. So for you, just how do you feel with your obviously great career and current career? How how do you feel the sports landscape has changed uh, from the time you started to now? And are you happy with that evolution? Because you said like sometimes you lot like you working in the sports industry maybe took away some of the joy, but obviously with your kids it brought it back. But how do you feel the sports evolution or sports has evolved? And are you happy with that the way it's been not like where it is today? So. It's evolved so much that it's almost impossible to start counting all of the ways. So here's what I'll say. The business of sports has never been better, has never been stronger, because the way society has evolved, we have reached a point where sports are practically the only things, the only programming left that exists that people all watch at the same time. The people watch when it's actually on. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know if you watch the show White Lotus. My wife has talked me into watching some um, some of the binge watch shows that people watch. We became empty nesters and I half the time have nothing to do. So we're watching some shows. I, I was always the person who had never seen a show. So now I watch some shows. So I watched White Lotus, the second one, the one in Sicily. And I, you know, I was entertained by it. I didn't love it, but I mean, it was good. <laughs> but the point is, I have no idea when that show was on, if indeed it was ever on the channel. And I certainly wasn't watching it at the same time as anybody else. I was watching it whenever the heck I felt like. Yeah. And that is vastly, no one would ever say that about a football game. Like no one is ever going to be like, oh, Cowboys, Eagles, can't wait to DVR that and watch it Friday. Like <laughs> that's just not the way the world works. Yeah. So sports as a, as a, as a, as a television property or a flash streaming property, which for the purposes of this conversation, let's say, are the same thing, the value of it is incalculable. I mean, you yeah. can't even begin to count all of the money that it is going to make for people. So uh, sports have never been healthier from that standpoint. As far as the games themselves, I think that the the, the actual talent and skill levels that we see are the highest they've ever been. And I think that will continue to be true 20 years from now. They'll be higher now uh, than they are now and on and on because there are advances in technology and medicine and nutrition and everything else. 
So that part of it is all better. There, Look, I'm 55 years old, so there are any number of things about sports that I miss. But what I don't really care for are when people talk about how much better things used to be. Like, that feels to me like a wasted conversation. Um, you know, people who are older than me thought that things were better, you know, in their day. And now I think things are better in my day. And young people today are going to think that things were better in their day 30 years from now. So what I think of all that is kind of irrelevant. If, if I want to continue to be relevant as a sports announcer, and, and I do, um, then I can't sit around thinking about how things were in the 80s. Yeah. I have to I have to be in tune to the way things are now and accept them for what they are and and follow them and not become jaded in the same way that we just described a few moments ago. So that's how I that's how I view sports. Um, they've never been more powerful. They've never been more popular. And the games themselves have continued to evolve and they will forever. Awesome. One more question before the uh, father quick five. You've interviewed so many cool people and so many like different in different genres and in, in around the world. What interview to you was like, how, how, how did this interview happen? Like, just because like, was there one like in your great career of interviewing people? I just like, you're enjoying it, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, but like, you're like, how is this happening? Like, did you have like one of those? Cause I know you've got like, you've interviewed, you guys had Jerry Seinfeld on and a bunch of other great people, athletes, you know, entertainers and stuff. But is there one you're like, after it was done, like I, I, I would not in a million years have thought this interview would have happened. Well, for me, that would be less an interview that we did than things that we got to do. Okay. And so the two that jump immediately to mind were, well, there were a few when we were invited to the white house would be right up near the top. And we, we met the president and the first lady and all of that. That was uh, unbelievable. And, and the kind of thing that, you know, as a second generation American whose grandparents were immigrants who fled to this country um, to avoid persecution in Eastern Europe, you know, two generations later for your grandson to be invited to the white house as personally by the president, you know, I, I can't fathom anything greater. Yeah. Similarly, I remember standing in the wings getting ready to be introduced to go on the David Letterman show for the first time. And I grew up idolizing Dave. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, how the heck did this happen? Um, and then there were there were others. Like I remember when we sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game at Wrigley Field, that was a thrill for me because I had come up in the business covering sports in Chicago, sitting in the press box, which is directly adjacent to the booth where they do that from at Wrigley. And I remember just sort of staring over at the people who were doing it all the time. And so the fact that it was me that was getting to do it was unreal. Um, getting to play in a tennis match one time with Chris Everett, who was my who was my hero when I was a little kid. She was I always say she was the first woman I ever loved. Um, and there I was playing in a tennis match with her um, at the U.S. Open. So th those are the things that come to mind. It's less about the interviews we did. Yeah. I mean, Jerry was unbelievable and there have been many. But um, some of those experiences are the things that I still can't believe I got to do. Thank you very much for indulging me in that. Now I got the father of quick five favorite family movie. Do you guys have one? Meaning for our whole family? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. What would be, to, you know, like when my kids were little, we, we all, my kids loved Adam Sandler movies. Like he made a, like my kids loved, like they were just old enough to, to watch and not be inappropriate. The, the happy Gilmore's and Billy Madison's yeah. and, um, you know, water boys and big daddies of the world. I remember sitting and laughing with them like crazy. It was more TV shows that I remember watching with my kids. My kids were of the sweet life of Zach and Cody, Hannah Montana, 
um, uh, what was that kid's name? Corey in the house. Yeah. Good luck, Charlie. Wizards of Waverly Place generation of kids. So we watched a lot of those. So it was really more TV shows mm-hmm. that I remember with my kids more than I remember movies. I don't, I don't know that if you ask my family, name your favorite family movie, each of the four of us, I bet you we would all name four different things. All right. You talk about music, Taylor Swift and all that other stuff, you know, especially with your, with your daughter and all that. But was there a band or an artist you tried to introduce them to, to like, Hey, check this out. They hate all of it. They hate all of my music. They, um, they, they did not. I mean, I grew up listening to like Elvis Costello and the clash and the police and Joe Jackson and, 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 even I have to confess that while I still love it, that stuff sounds so dated now, like the music I listen to. So my kids have always hated it and never listened to it and never got into it. And and then there was the day that we were in the car and a, the, the Billy Joel song, Only the Good Die Young, came on the radio. And I said, Nikki, this is a really good song. Listen. And she listened for a minute and she said, Dad, the Glee version is better. And that was when I knew it was over. <laughs> I said, okay. I uh, now I knew where we were. <laughs> Smart man, you knew when to take your losses. Uh, describe the perfect family vacation. Where would it be? Well, our my favorite that we did over the years. Well, there were two. There used to be something called ESPN the weekend that we would do every year at Disney World, and where we would just basically take over the parks. And yeah. when my and, and this happened right when my kids were of the perfect age to do that. Those I think are my favorite memories. Nice. Um, I would also say the best family vacation even now is skiing. Um, that's the one thing that we can all still do together that my kids aren't dying to be with their friends. They'll ski with us. We can ski well enough to keep up with them for the most part. And th- that I think is the most quality time. So of the vacations, you know, beach vacations, my kids have gotten to a point now where like they don't want to hang out on a beach with their parents, um, you know, but skiing, they still will do with us. And so, those are right now are definitely our best family vacations. Nice golf course. You haven't played yet at, but you're dying to play. So the courses in New Zealand, I'm dying to get to Cape kidnappers, Tara Edie. We were supposed to go there. My group of, of golf guys, we were supposed to go there February of 21, right? When the country of New Zealand was completely shut down. You can't go. Yeah. Um, and so we have not been able to reschedule that. So I'm dying to get there. Um, th- those are the best golf courses in the world that I haven't played. Nice. And lastly, top three words you hope your kids would use to describe you as a dad. What would you want them to be? That's so hard. I mean, <laughs> you know, I-, I hope I hope that my kids would say that that over the course of their lives that I've been fun and 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 I've been um interested you know and and i've been dedicated like uh, you know those are the kinds of things that come to mind like i said before like i've done a million things wrong as a father we all have i've gotten a million things wrong but i i I really do but there's anything i'm proud of and my kids are 22 and 20 now um i think i can honestly say that it's never not been my first priority like literally never and yeah I, I really do believe they know that. And I think that that matters. And and so whatever words are used to describe that, then those are the words. 
Great, man. Thank you very much for sharing that. I know you've been super busy with not only just your career, <laughs> job and life and family, but with this book tour, I know you're on a, on just on a whirlwind. So thank you so much. People, make sure you follow Mike on Twitter and Instagram at ESPN Greeny. Pick up his book that him and Hembo did wherever you get books and obviously check out ESPN Radio and uh, get up. Again, I wish you and your family continued success and thank you for your time, sir. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I want to thank Medela for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. They are doing some great work to help families and especially moms get back into the workforce. Make sure you go to medela.us slash kin for more information on their fantastic kin program. And while you're on the internet, make sure you check out artoffatherhood.net. Check out the podcast. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You have a chance to win some cool prizes over at my website. See reviews, see funny articles, and also stories about dads doing it right. And again, thanks for checking out this week's episode of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. I appreciate your support where I'm trying to build up fatherhood and families. Thanks for listening to the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and go to artoffatherhood.net.